Welcome to Making Your Miles Count Production, an educational program to all Canadian lease owner-operators with your host, Robert Scaper. Chapter 8, Government Auditors versus Lease Owner-Operators. Um, talk a little bit about the government and how they relate to Canada, uh, like Canada Revenue Agency relates to lease owner operators. There, uh, when you're incorporated, there are several different departments of the government that a lease operator is exposed to. Uh, there is the source deduction department, where the Canada Pension Plan and EI uh, or or Canada Pension Plan and income tax from the operator is submitted on a monthly basis. That's one department within Canada Revenue Agency. There's also uh, GST. GST is another department. And a lot of people think that uh, that they're very closely related. They're actually, they're operated almost like cylinders. They, they oftentimes don't talk to each other at all. Mm -hmm. uh, like they could find out something, a GST auditor could find out something, but they won't tell source deductions or income tax people or anything like that. They, uh, they have a very narrow... Uh, type of a uh, focus they rarely talk to each other is actually less of a, a concern for uh, an audit than what people autom automatically think one thing i wanted to touch on i've done a few videos actually on this and that's the driver services i want to uh, i got a video on our on driver services uh, where drivers incorporate and they don't own a truck and the like and uh, cra is coming down uh, quite heavily on that. That's something that I uh, highly discourage come out. Even in my book, I talk about, uh, and this was back in 2005, six when I wrote the book, uh, I said that's not something that uh, people should uh, uh, get into. And uh, I guess nobody really listened to me at the time, but uh, so be it. I still stand on it. Uh, uh, don't be a driver services. Uh, you give up too much, too much rights. Uh, and uh, become too vulnerable to uh, an employer, really. Can really you explain so. a little bit about that, what a driver um, services is? A driver services is somebody who has the capability of driving uh, a, a truck at a company, uh, doesn't want to work for the company and have uh, all the source deductions taken off of it, but they, they, they used to just do, you know, I'll just do a trip for you uh, this week or something while you're on holidays or whatever, and you just pay him x amount of dollars per mile and you write them a, ch a check no taxes taken off or anything like that that's a self-employed driver services it was done 30 years ago quite regularly uh, to get around that even more a lot of people have gone through the incorporation process and then uh, then it's a relationship it's a between one corporation and another corporation and it doesn't fall, they, they think that it doesn't fall under employer-employee uh, type of scenarios and they're able to write off a whole bunch more stuff and stuff like that. It, it really escalated in Ontario. Big, uh, uh, even carriers would only hire people if they were incorporated. So they had like hundreds of employees sometimes and well, not really employees, they weren't classified as employees. So they didn't have to pay them uh, workers' compensation. Mm -hmm or uh, any of the taxes or anything uh, like that. Realistically, what that bottom line happens is, let's say, for instance, a driver is in traffic and damages a truck or something like that. Ordinarily, there are rules associated with an employer that, I mean, you can't take off 
you know, the damages from a guy's paycheck, that kind of thing. But because it's in uh, a corporation to a corporation, they can take it off because it, that becomes a civil issue. And uh, so why would somebody as a driver give up that protection that they have? That's a little bit of an insurance there. Also, uh, workers' compensation becomes the cost of the actual driver himself as opposed to the, um, uh, the, the carrier. Um, and uh, like, for instance, also Canada Pension Plan, there's both the employer portions and the employee portions. Well, now the, the employer doesn't have to pay that, mm -hmm. uh, the employer portions of it. So it, all the benefits are on the carrier and virtually none of the benefits are, are on the driver. The sort of um, knee-jerk reaction is, well, yeah, but look how little taxes you'll have to pay. Well, yeah, but... You're carrying unbelievable amount of risk for that, and uh, you are totally at the mercy of the carrier. And uh, um, I think it's actually very, very uh, risky for somebody to get involved with a, a situation where all the uh, all the benefits are on one side of the contract, and there's there's virtually nothing of benefit there. Well, why would the company then do that? To reduce would, their costs. Oh, I see. Yeah. Even if it's not cost reduction, it's risk reduction. Sometimes there were there were individuals who who just got their um, CDLs and they suddenly uh, uh, they can't get a job. And the only place where you can get a job is well, you got to go through the incorporation process and then uh, and that because if he's a brand new driver, maybe. Uh, there's a 20% chance he's going to damage something or do something in the first uh, six months or something like that. Well, then the company doesn't have to cover that cost uh, oh. for that. It's it's the, all the drivers. So they hold you liable. Oh, totally, yeah. So there's a big risk for a driver totally. to do that. Yeah, that's why they shouldn't do that oh, you know, in, okay. in, in that regard. People probably don't know that. Well. And maybe the... But, maybe the Companies don't even know that. Oh, I think the companies know it. Oh, you think so? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, maybe not all of them uh, like uh, like would deduct it off, but a lot of them would. You know, they would abuse the uh, the driver because to a certain extent, I, and I've talked to quite a few of them in Ontario, and they said, uh, I said, why do you go through the incorporation process and do all of this? Well, no one will hire me unless I am incorporated. Mm. So there was sort of this... Uh, um, a certain segment of the drivers that uh, that couldn't get a company job un, uh, at all, so they were forced to do something. Not forced, but they there was high pressure to to say, well, if I want to support my family, I got to go through this process. I think it's it's a fair thing for CRA to shut it down um, in there. I not exactly sure if it would be a good idea for them to penalize the drivers as much as the carriers. The carriers should always uh, have that option to hire them as an employee. The other factor too that uh, there were some carriers said, hey, look, we'll hire you as a company driver. And they said, no. In some places, um, you know, you had an accountant who said, okay, well, your revenue was so much. Well, let's just uh, put these expenses through there or whatever. And suddenly you don't have to pay any taxes, you know, it's not liable or anything for it. So the, there was a lot of cheating when it comes to taxes too. And so if the, if the driver says, wait a minute, I, I go this way and I don't have to pay any taxes. If I go this way, then they take the taxes off and I have no choice kind of a thing. Um, so they go the little bit more illegal route, I guess you would call it, or, so there was that pressure. Hopefully now, 
um, there's a lot more sobriety in the drivers who say, wait a minute, you know what, I, uh, I need to be a T4 driver or buy a truck, one of the two. And there's sometimes individuals who flat out said, look, I can't get a, uh, I can't get a job unless I actually buy a truck. So they have to go out and invest and they're fresh green drivers and they, uh, and they have to buy a truck in order to make a living yeah. uh, doing it. It's, it's it, probably not fair. But I think it's been difficult for many, many years already. Yeah. I know when I started driving back in 85, I could not get onto the company I was driving for. Oh, yeah. And I didn't have experience. And they just didn't want to hire me. I finally <laughs> told, told them one day, I went in there every week. And uh, they just kept pushing me off. And uh, I told him one day, I said, look, Monday I'm bringing my lunch kit. I'm going to sit at your front door. <laughs> he said, you really want to drive, don't you? I said, I do. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> do you know how my wife and I got in? This is, is crazy. Please don't ever do what we did when we mm -hmm. first got in. I bought a truck. Didn't even have my class one. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was my brother-in-law who had his drivers. And I said, well, I'll just get my learners and I'll go with him. You know, that's how we got in, and which is ridiculous. Don't ever do that. So our we were baptized into this situation by straight, uh, we had to buy a truck. We bought a truck. We didn't even have a glass one. That is ridiculous. We didn't have, we had so little experience. How we survived is miraculous, I think. It was, no. yeah. But we were very, very careful. But if, some, if it's something that you want to do, you're going to put every yeah. effort into it, all your effort into it, right? Yeah, you throw everything yourself into it, yeah. and uh, you, you get to learn everything about yeah. it, you know? Uh, yeah. We learned. I know for the first first little while, uh, you know, when you're used to uh, a paycheck of, you know, 800 to $1,200, and suddenly you get a check for six or $7,000, uh, you kind of lose your mind a little bit uh -huh. I, I was always afraid of debt so i would just take maximum and just throw it into debt we had that truck paid for probably in about eight nine months or something like this you know because we lived off of nothing but uh, then all of a sudden you find out that uh, you know uh, an, an alternator repair job cost you know three four hundred dollars out in the road or a uh, new tire cost uh uh, you know, hundreds of dollars and, oh, wait a minute, I didn't budget for any of this. I knew mm -hmm. nothing about what I was doing. I, uh, it was total fluke that we survived. But yeah, it did, it did help once we were debt free that, uh, that we could cash flow it. But, uh, we were very fortunate. Nothing serious went for the first, uh, six or nine months. And I got sure. a question. I don't, I don't, I know what I, what I'm thinking, but would you suggest somebody buy a used truck that they could pay off in a year? or pay off in two years, then going out and buying a, a newer truck or a new truck to finance. Um, I don't know what your take is on that. If the person is mechanically inclined, then, then yes. It is so, how do you judge whether a person is committed to doing something or not? When right. are they gonna, when are they gonna say, ah, oh, I can't make money at, at doing this? Uh, Everybody at some point in time is tempted to say that, it really doesn't make any difference how they get into it. At some point in time, they're going to say, what the heck did I do? And, uh, um, and you got to weather through that. Like any relationship, you have, to, you have to push through that and say, okay, this is going to work. That's going to work. Keep on going, keep on going, and eventually comes out. In my second book, uh, Choosing a Truck Company, I did the research on uh, where independent operators actually make the good money. And realistically, they make pretty much the same as company drivers until their truck is paid for. 
Once a truck is paid for, that's when the high margins come in. If you buy a truck for twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, and uh, once it's paid for and uh, and it's operating with a regular maintenance account, you get pretty much between eighty and one hundred twenty percent return on on investment on that truck every year. Mm-hmm. You can't get that anywhere else. I mean, that is a fabulous return on your investment. Yeah. But you don't get it until you actually, you don't see it in cash until you actually have the truck paid for. And yeah. it takes a few years, to, a number of years, uh, uh, sometimes five to ten years before you're in a situation where you're good, solid footing. And the, and the problem now, too, is a lot of the companies won't hire older trucks like they can't be more than three, four years old. That's ridiculous. I know, but I it's know. still there. Still, there are foolish. companies out there like that. Yeah, yeah, I and, agree. I agree. And so, maybe pick a company that. Yeah, you where just you can choose do, a where different company. There but are some really good companies that uh, they specialize in the old truck. Yep. I know one company that uh, they go out and they buy all the used trucks, and they have a maintenance shop, and they rebuild it all, mm-hmm. and they, you know. And and uh, they don't do any of the new trucks at all. Right. Actually, especially in the last maybe ten years or so, I know one carrier who bought uh, well thirty five brand new trucks, and after I think it was six months or something like six months, uh, they packed up all of them, sent them all back to the dealership because they were uh, six between sixty and seventy percent higher maintenance than the older trucks, and so they hired a lawyer and said, you know what. Just get rid of these. We don't want these anymore. And they went back to older, older style trucks. Mm-hmm. And that that occasionally happens. And uh, uh, and like, but for an independent operator, you can't do that. You can't hire a lawyer to handle one truck. It's yeah. it, it's uh, yeah. it's not it's not feasible to do that. Carrier can do that, but uh, it is risky. But that's why, to a certain extent, uh, there there are some owner operators of the year. You know, you hear these guys who want them. A huge percentage of them, they drive the truck uh, as a company tri- driver for you know six months. They keep track of the fuel economy and the maintenance and mm-hmm. all. The, they track everything all down to see, and then they run the numbers side by side. Um, okay, would I have made any money doing this with the contract? And they say, oh yeah, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Then they buy that specific truck because they okay. know that. Uh, they know how that performs. They know what's going to happen. They can project out in the future, and they say, "Okay, I can make this work." And those are the ones who are really successful. Who they they have a very low failure rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, but that's probably uh, if they're that detailed and research oriented in getting into it, they're detailed and research oriented in all of the stuff. Oh, now I remember the story I was going to say before. I have a client who did all of his own maintenance, similar similar to yourself. He'd buy pails of gear lube and oil and stuff like this, and he did all of his own oil changes. And he changed the oil on his rear ends with with gear lube. And then I think a month or two later, he just did a routine check, uh, and he's seen shavings in there. He goes, oh, I got fresh oil in here. How come I have shavings in here now? And so he had the oil tested. And uh, he found out that there was extremely low viscosity on it. It wasn't wasn't slippery at all. And he goes, what? I had a brand new pail, you know. Mm -hmm. So he looked at the pail and he did a little bit of research. And when they make uh, gear lube, uh, actually a lot of oil, there is tiny little particles in the oil that they mix with it that creates the viscosity. That's 
At least this is what he told me. And if you have the pail sitting there for a number of weeks or a month, that it slowly oh. settles down to the bottom. Okay. Uh, yeah. So when he poured out the oil, it was the the low viscosity in the top, and he had the 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 stuff on the bottom. He didn't know this. Mm -hmm. There was no sign on the on the anything to shake it up or anything like that. But that's what he learned, and he did the research with that particular brand of uh, gear lube, and he found that all of these guys do that, and none of them put the shake before use on there. But he went through the whole process. He learned it. And I think now they put shake before use. When, when you're an independent operator and you're doing your own maintenance, you learn stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. amazing information to oh, learn. Yeah. There's lots of stuff like that that you go, wait a minute. You know, this is, uh, this is pretty, pretty amazing uh, stuff. But that kind of maintenance, when you learn it and you're intense and you're all in, and, uh, and that, that's, those are the kind of guys who make money. Uh, generally speaking, unless they have a super spending problem or something like that, yeah. and they buy chrome coming out of their ears or something like that. Well, chrome is good. Yeah, chrome is good. <laughs> I know you have a fair bit of chrome on your show truck, uh, that's for sure. But uh, in in the end, it comes down to like, and I know you'll agree, chrome doesn't make you money. No, it doesn't, but it no. helps. It, helps. <laughs> it, helps it makes you look good. It, it makes you look good up and down the road good. as you're going now. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, for sure. For me, I I value uh, really really nice looking staplers and pens yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like this. But that's my industry. I'd like to talk a, a little bit about the government, um, uh, government auditors and lease owner operators. Probably the biggest area that uh, operators um, uh, deal with the government on a regular basis is GST input tax uh, uh, return, GST HST, and uh, it makes a huge difference. Um, the mindset of the individual. Sometimes uh, that 35% uh, of operators in 1996 were living paycheck to paycheck, uh, and it's probably not that much better now. Um, that means that when you get a GST refund, which could be um, some thousands of dollars, uh, a refund on a regular basis, the mindset is that's the only real profit I'm ever seeing. Hmm. And uh, and that is truly uh, very unfortunate, because it it should not be that way, and uh, you shouldn't go from crisis to crisis waiting for that GST no. to pay for the tires or something like that. There, there, your personal spending is is getting out of control, and um, working with GST or HST in Canada, mostly it, it's a federal department and you have the basically the con, a consistent uh, um, uh, application all across Canada uh, but you do you do have different um, charges like if a person uh, gets some work done in Ontario you have HST which is like 15 to 14 percent um, Maritimes 15 percent uh, Alberta is five percent so you get differing numbers and uh, the most important thing is is getting the appropriate amount and and the, go back to a little bit with uh, non-taxable benefits um, one of the huge benefits of non-taxable benefits is the uh, uh, the gst or hst rebate that you get or input tax credit uh, on your non-taxable benefits i have a client that's driving just in ontario There's about thirty thousand dollars a year in uh, non-taxable benefits but the HST in there is 
close to $2,500, $2,000. I can't do the math that quickly. His entire accounting fees alone was just covered by the HST, HST on his uh, non-taxable benefits. Wow. And that's just regular. Those types of setups allow you better cash flow um, and uh, and very significant impact long-term. It's the small little incremental mm-hmm. things that benefit long-term yeah. uh, on there. But realistically, when it comes to the government uh, and uh, and and working with the government, as long as the uh, the accountant that you're working with has a good relationship with with the government, um, uh, we have a great relationship with the government. I have no idea how it would be like. I, I'd be terrified to be at a firm that had a terrible relationship with uh, the government. One thing I did notice, we have noticed. Actually, everybody in the accounting industry has probably noticed, is uh, when COVID hit. Um, the first thing that that went was there was an awful lot of auditors that left Canada Revenue Agency, and uh, when they when they left, they had to be replaced. Now, the way it is right now in 2022 and forward, it very much appears that the vast majority of auditors work from home. They don't go to some office anymore. Now that might change in the future, but but right now that's what they're doing. They're selling furniture like crazy, uh, uh, just because they don't need any more uh, uh, square footage for for stuff like that. And that changes uh, uh, things quite a bit because they're newer auditors. For instance, in the entire year of 2022, we have regular audits or like routine audits. So we let's say we went through. Uh, uh, 1820 audits. To my knowledge, I only know one of the auditors that uh, that has been here, that has been at CRA longer than two years. So they're wow. all brand new people, and you can tell that they're they're bright enough people, but they really don't know what they're doing very much. And sometimes we have to hold their hand all the way through. And and I suspect. Uh, accountants all across Canada are dealing with this. So far, at least from our experience, they're very respectful. They're working out okay. If you do a little bit of research in morale and that, working for the government, either even if it's not the federal government, it's also provincial. From a perspective of an employment, working for the government tends to have low morale. Not very many people really like working for, for government. Whether it's city, municipal, uh, provincial or federal, um, the majority of them are there um, for a paycheck and a pension. Mm. That's really all that. Yeah, you hear that a lot. Yeah, and so their heart's really not in it. If you if you talk to truck drivers, about fifty percent of them are actually really into it. You know, they enjoy their job and they work and you know that kind of thing. But half of them aren't. But yeah, well, <laughs> but, more than half. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It could could fluctuate a fair bit, but some of them are just really engaged and they really love what they do. And uh, uh, and, and like I know my wife and I, uh, we loved it when we did it. And even now, uh, we haven't driven truck in a long time, but we like driving. We'll just jump in a vehicle and and yeah. uh, and go do because we we like driving together. It's a great uh, uh, shouldn't say pastime, but it's a if we could do it for a living. Uh, it would be a nice way to retire from us. From well, you know what? I've done it now for 37 years. Yeah. I I cannot say that there's one trip that I didn't like. Yeah. I mean, you don't always like going to certain places, but I've always enjoyed every yeah. trip and still do. Yeah. Oh, one, one final point about uh, 
morale in 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 the government um they hired a huge amount of auditors fresh fresh auditors and generally speaking at least historically um they have a fair bit of drop off like people who leave within 2 to 3 years primarily because they work within a a bureaucracy working within a highly tight bureaucracy um it's not nearly as employee friendly as uh, um uh, as a i guess you could call it a free market kind of a, a an mm-hmm. atmosphere so i do expect in 2023 not 23 uh, 24 25 um that uh, they're going to be hiring again to replace some of the some of the people just because um people lose heart in there they really want to do a good job but the bureaucracy sort of cuts them off at the knees kind of a thing if i would work at a bank for instance and be be uh you know zip tied to my chair and i uh, can only do what the screen in front of me tells me to do oh doodle i don't think i would survive no i no, would no. be uh, no. Nazi cuckoo very very shortly yep. need, need a little bit more freedom autonomy and and uh, uh, and like and just multiply that a little bit more and that's what a bureaucracy is i have uh, friends and even family members who have worked with at CRA they endure it they have little cliques where you know we get four or five people together whatever and they 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 enjoy each other and stuff like this but the the morale of the whole company you know is uh, you know they try the best they can there is one thing that uh, i i do want to say in CRA's defense when ottawa came out with serb and the seva uh, and there's various different forms of uh of benefits that came because of of covid it was thrown into CRA's lap that now you're responsible for overseeing this well they were already pretty much at their max capacity before covid like i mean they were just a well-oiled uh, machine at that point or and uh, doing as best as they can suddenly to be thrown this huge responsibility well that's impossible Yeah, I I I totally uh, side with Canada Revenue Agency to realize that there's just no way that they could uh, uh, audit and manage all of these things that Ottawa threw at them. So uh, something's going to drop somewhere. They can't do a perfect job, and I I hope citizens understand that CRA is no way responsible for every. You know, there's going to be people who get away with it uh, for the simple reasons that. Uh, um, I don't know what percentage the new work had, but I do know that uh, I do know one uh, auditor who quit because uh, he 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 basically said, "Look, I'm not doing anything with regarding to this this Sir. COVID stuff," and he, that lasted I think two or three weeks, and then he was forced to it. And I don't think he's there anymore. I know he's not there anymore. And uh, so realistically, they quit because the responsibility was un unreasonable, and. And realistically, I mean, if he was close to his retirement, well, just grab the retirement goal, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, people want to be uh, living in a re- reasonable work environment, you know. And it was it was unrealistic what Ottawa threw at them, and uh, it's not possible for them to do it. And they're doing the best they can at this point. It may be four or five years or more before they have fully been able to. Uh, It's just backlogged it. everything. Yeah, it's just 
back. Everything is backlogged. There's yep. all sorts of things. We try and do uh, as much as we can through the system that we know it's going to be all electronic. That helps them quite a bit. Oh, yeah. They can always audit it later, but at least it gets the process through. Mm -hmm. uh, that's for sure. CRA is not a not an evil person. It's just a system that's not well appreciated. It's too big. Yeah, appreciated and, and also maintained. It, it's it's too big. It's just massive um, um, in that regards. Thanks for stopping by Making Your Miles Count. For further Making Your Miles Count productions, call us at 877-987-9787 or download us at makingyourmilescount.com.